All right, we're going to start a new series. We're calling it Choose Joy, thus the icon, or they get it up there. Uh, I chose this emoji because it means joy to me. It may not mean that to you, but it doesn't matter what it's what I want it to mean that matters. That means joy. I know it can be. Here's the thing. Be honest. Now, be honest. Those of you that are on Facebook, those of you that aren't, you can't play. All right. So be honest. Be honest. Have fun with me here. It's not no shame. Everybody. How many of you have put something like that or L-O-L or something? No, no, no. Don't. Got to hear the whole question. I get it that you use that. Okay. How many have done that but had no laughter when you did it? Let me see show of hands. Come on. Don't be shy. Come on. Come on. Yeah. The rest of you either aren't on Facebook or you're not being real. So it's, you know, we do. It sounds like I laughed. It's like someone that tells you, this is a really funny joke. You never tell someone that before you tell a joke. Let the people decide if it was funny. And you always, when you say that, man, my expectations go right here. And it always just drops an egg, and you're just like, this is really funny, let me tell you. No, it's not, I'll determine if it's funny or not. Maybe funny to you, but it may not be to me. So we're going to talk about, in this series, how to overcome anxieties, fear, and stress that robs joy. We live in a world that, to have joy is a miracle. Now, you can have laughter, you can have fun for an hour or two. You know, my wife and I had the joy of going to uh, Christian communities, not he doesn't do a Christian stand. He's a young man that he's, we've known him since he was a little boy. and He's very popular. He's very funny. And we laughed. I mean, if you can keep people laughing for an hour, I mean, it's a gift. Uh, and we laughed. And, and, you know, he had a couple warm-up guys before that. And we laughed at them. And, you know, but when I got done, I probably couldn't remember one or two of his whole. And it was like one after another, 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 another. And it was therapy while I was there. But, you know, I got up the next morning. And it was Sunday. And I was grumpy. Didn't even want to go to church. And it didn't carry over. I wanted him to show up in my room and tell me some more funny stories about Christians. Because I believe they're funny. And so he grew up in a pastor's home. And so it, it, not only did the laughter go away, but I ended up getting COVID from going to the stupid thing. So it, it, that joy, and again, I'm not knocking that. There's a place for, you know, funny movies and laughter and, and you know, but it, it just, what we're going to talk about in this series is a joy that has the strength and the backbone to carry you through grief, a joy that can take you through a broken relationship, a joy that will walk with you through tears and trials and heartaches. So it's not just a giddy <laughs> all the time, but there's a depth to this that, that, that is, it, it's, it's not something you can produce. It's not something you can manufacture. It's, it's joy that comes from Jesus. And so we're going to take the book of Philippians, four chapters, but it's one of my favorite. I, I got to think, and I have more favorite verses in this four chapters than any other book in the Bible. I, I just, verses I go back to, verses that I hang on to, verses that I pray, verse, and I have a lot of different favorite, but this is a, just a, a rich book. And the apostle Paul wrote this from a locked in a chains to a Roman soldier and a Roman uh, under house arrest. Uh, and, and so he's, he, he started this church 10 years earlier. And he, there, it's one of the most intimate of all of his. You want to get to know Paul. This is why I would recommend uh, you'll get to know more about him in this, this book this morning. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning to start with on this Choose Joy is I want to talk about a gospel joy, a joy that is born from, sustained by, nurtured in the gospel, a gospel joy. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul, he introduces himself as Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes in his letters, he comes out like the book of Galatians, where he comes out swinging. He's solving deep problems, and he, he, he does, he's not ashamed of his authority. This is a book of relationship. He's going to appeal to them for different things, but he's not the Apostle Paul. He's Paul, the servant of the Lord. He's been captured by the gospel. He's been captured by the good news. When I say gospel, when Paul uses it, he'll use it five or six times just in chapter one. We're not talking about just doctrines. We're not talking about even just saying, 
Jesus died on the cross. The term gospel, has it's almost synonymous with Jesus. When you say that it's gospel joy, it's just like saying it's joy from Jesus. Because the gospel is the message or the announcement or the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, and he's here to do it now through the power of the message and the spirit. So it's not just a, a, a history lesson of announcing the gospel of something that happened back then. It's real, present, life-changing, living now when it's proclaimed the good news of Jesus. So Paul calls himself a servant of Jesus, and he's writing to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Now, he addresses this to saints. You'd say, well, that, that would let me off the hook. I wouldn't be in that church. It's a church for saints. Can you imagine that? If you had a church that said saints only. We say, this is an ch ugly church. We don't want saints of what people think they mean by the word saint. They think they mean someone that's going to be canonized by the church and made statues of or pictures or an emblem hang around your neck and some superstar uh and, and no for the bible when you understand the gospel the gospel takes sinners and makes us saints it means to be set apart to to be owned by belong to god's special children chosen children so i'm a saint you okay, i used to sign my letter saint james I just, you know, I, I just, and I, it, because I, but in our world, unless you get time to, can you imagine calling me, you had to call me Pastor St. Jamie, I mean, you know, but, but you're a saint. That's why he includes the, 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 the church leaders in the same category with those that are called saints. They're just people that the gospel has changed their lives. And now we're going to get to know some of these people in a minute. But at first it says that these people are in Christ. Now that's gospel. When you understand gospel, what the gospel does is it brings us into a living relationship with Jesus. It's not a theory. It's not to get us to heaven. If you, most people, if you ask a question, is the purpose of the gospel to get you to heaven or get you into Jesus? It's to get you into Jesus. Now, where Jesus is, that's heaven. When it says in Christ, think of it this way. A fish swims in water. That's its world. A bird flies in the air. That's the world. It, it, and trees are rooted in the soil. And we are rooted in Christ. We, we have our, our supply of life comes from him. That's why when you connect to him, what he has never runs out, runs out in me. I leak. I, 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 I run dry, just like joy. But boy, you're going to find in this, when the gospel connects you to Jesus, there's a supply that's inexhaustible. And in the last of the book, Paul talks about God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. So in other words, there's a wealth of our father. He's a good Good. He's not a stingy dad. He's not a hoarding, but he's, he wants us to be joined to Christ by faith. Now, he calls them saints in Christ, but then he defines them as at Philippi. That's the town. In what was called then Macedonia, it's now Greece. Right beside it was Asia, Asia Minor, where Paul travels through, and he's going to get to this church the first time he goes on European soil is this church in Philippi. But he talks about them being in Christ at Philippi. We're in Christ at Cape Coral. Cape Coral makes us not mystical. It's not like, woo, we're part of some eerie, weary, uh, you know, spiritual, you know. And that's where some people, when I meet them and they're like, I'm part of every church. Then you're part of no church. You need soil. You need location. You need gathering. It doesn't have to be a building. I've met in Africa under trees. You're going to see people in a minute that have, they're having a, a service by the river. It's not about a building, but it's about a location of people that gather together because they're in Christ. We have total differences, but we're in Christ at Cape Coral. And so there's this 
grounds level. And he mentions with the elders and the, the overseers and the, and the, the uh, deacons. In other words, there's church leadership, but they're not a hierarchy. We're all together in Christ at Cape Coral or in Christ at Philippi. So what I want to do is just pause. We're going to unpack Philippians as we go uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But I want to give you the backstory because it really makes these verses come alive. So if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, and go to the book of Acts chapter 16. This is the story of Paul finding his way to Philippi. Now, he doesn't want to go there. He's not planning on going there. It's not his agenda. He has an agenda to go to these towns in Asia, that Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And he's on a mission. And he starts going in, and the Holy Spirit just says, no. It's good to pay attention when God says no. Now, he's going to do a good thing. He's not going to rob a bank. He's not going to go do something immoral. He's trying to share the gospel in places. He's, God says, no. So he tries to go somewhere else. The door shuts. Boom. How do you know? When you have a relationship with God and you're in Christ, you know when doors shut. You know when he says no. That's not, I don't have peace about it. So he's like, well, where are we going? So he goes to bed. He has a dream. In the dream, this man that I, doesn't say he knows him appeals to him and says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come help us. He gets up the next day. He says to his team, I think God wants us to go to Macedonia. They said, do you think? No, I'm just kidding. But he is, is his vision. He says, come on over. And so they, they take the journey across the seas. They come over, and the first city they get to is Philippi. And that's where we're going to jump in in chapter. Now, remember, he's on the mission to preach the gospel. That's his mission. He's, on his, he's gospel-centered, saturated. He's been captured by the living Jesus. The good news has transformed this man that was out to kill Christians. Now he's out to make Christians. And so chapter 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out the sea and sailed straight to Samothrace and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. So Paul's there. He's still probably trying to figure out where's the man? Where's the man that called us? He's probably going down the street. That guy looked a little like him. Could that be? Normally his MO was to go to a town and find the synagogue because his roots were in Judaism, but he transforms Judaism by the Messiah interpreting, reinterpreting everything that they believed and sees it fulfilled in Jesus. So, but there's no, there's no synagogue. You had to have, I think it's a minimum of 12 men. Women didn't count. You had to have 12 men. I could be wrong on that number, but it was a small number in a, in a local town before you could have a synagogue. So they don't have that. The Jewish population here is very small in this Greek town. That's a Roman colony, this, this Philippi. And so Paul gets wind that there's a prayer meeting down by the river. So he heads out because in verse 20, uh, verse 12, and we traveled to Phil, I read that verse 13 on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the, say it with me, women. Now, you've got to understand in this culture, that's radical. Rabbis didn't speak to women. Rabbis didn't value women. Rabbis aren't going to take their time. Here's a guy that's traveled over heaven and earth, sacrificially seen a man, found a woman. God leads him and all this journey. He's got, you've got to have expectations. When you have a 3D vision in your dream of someone that's telling you, you're going to come here and I need you to come here. Your expectations like there's going to be hundreds waiting on me. I mean, the God's got a plan. Yeah, he does. Her name's Lydia. He shows up, and there's a handful of women. These are Jewish women or women that have been proselytized. They've been converted to Judaism. Lydia's one of them. She was raised a pagan in Asia, Thyatira. She was raised, and we don't know her story. All we know is that she is seeking after God. She's what the Bible calls a God-fearer. We have God-fearers in the room this morning. God-fearers are good people 
that don't have a living relationship with Jesus. A God-fearer comes to church and even sings songs and can study the Bible but doesn't have a vital, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord. We, we see it on a regular basis. People come to Jesus and publicly make a commitment of their life because they've been God-fearers, but not Jesus followers. There's a big difference between a God-fearer that you would agree with the, 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 the traditions and the, the, that you celebrate Christmas and Easter and, 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 and you believe in the Ten Commandments, and, and, but, but you don't have a, a, an ongoing communicative, intimate relationship with Jesus. You just don't know him yet. That's Lydia. Good woman. She's sitting here listening to Paul. Now, you got to know, Paul has one message, the gospel, which is Jesus. He's, he, if he uses the Old Testament, it's to preach Jesus. If he talks about Moses leading Israel out of, out of Egypt, he's talking about Jesus. If he talks about Abraham and the covenant and the seed that God promised him, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. That's all he had. Paul's a brilliant man, but all he had was the gospel. And that is all we need. And it's not something, we have this concept that a gospel church is a church that preaches salvation every Sunday. And there are those. And then we limit the gospel to just someone coming to Jesus. But the gospel is about how we live out our lives, not just who Christ is and what he did, but what he wants to do. And the gospel is an ongoing. And my, the gospel keeps being preached to me, and I keep getting converted. Not in a born again, 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 but in a changed, transformed. My views, opinions, ideas. Paul has radically been transformed by the power of the gospel. And when, when, you, when Paul talks about these saints in Christ, I want you to think of, and I'll, I'll have the drawing hopefully next week. It's not complicated, but you can see it in your mind with me. Uh, you know, think of a triangle. Okay, boom, boom, boom. At the bottom is Paul and Philippi, the, the church at Philippi. At the top is Jesus. In the center is the gospel. The gospel called Paul to Jesus, called Paul to surrender to Christ, but also called Paul to partner with the Philippian Christians, his brothers and sisters in Christ. They're, they're, they're connected to Jesus. It's not through Paul to Jesus. It's Jesus was revealed to them through the gospel that unites all It's the glue that unites them. They have nothing in common necessarily. Churches aren't about, let's get together with a homogeneous group of people that all vote the same way, all like the same kind of music, all drive the same kind of cars, all have the same favorite football team, blah, blah, blah. That's not the kingdom of God. Now, that's how a lot of churches are. They don't mean it to be that way, but if you just, if you don't fight the disease of I want to be around people like me because that means I don't have to change then you drive out people that aren't like you even though you don't mean to. Does that make sense? Your opinions, your attitudes, your actions. This is a gospel-centered church. And I drive out things that divide us in that triangle like putting politics in the center. If you put Republican in the center, you've lost somebody on the other side. If you put Democrat, you've lost a bunch on the other side. You get the gospel wrong, you won't get relationships right. Same as a marriage. I've used this illustration for marriages over the years is that, you know, but I, I didn't really see the gospel in it. And I got this from Gordon Fee, he's a great uh, 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 theologian, but just that, that this threefold bond from the gospel is that a gospel-centered marriage, and that's another message. But, but Paul is, is about, you've got to understand, here's a guy that was raised as a Pharisee, religious Jewish leader, to pray this prayer. God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, and I'm not a slave, nor a female. That's what they pray. Three worst things you could be. Gentile, slave, woman pretty much in that order. 
But the kingdom comes in the gospel. And it, it subverts, transforms, and flips over. So Paul shows up. What's the first person he sees? A woman. He doesn't go, where's your husband? And he got any men around here? I'm going to build a church. I'm going to plant the gospel in the soil of Philippi. And the first seed's going to go in the heart of a woman. I love this. This is the kingdom. So Lydia is her name. And it says in verse uh, 14, one of those listening was a woman. Again, he uses the word named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tharatar, which was an Asian city. And the purple means it's the most expensive of the dyes. And so she's a dealer in top clothes, top shelf. This is, this, is the, this is the catalog of the catalogs, you know, uh, Fifth Avenue stuff. She's a, she's a businesswoman. She's a wealthy woman. She's a bright woman. She's hungry for God. She doesn't know about the gospel, but she's about to hear it. And she's listening. And as she's listening, the Bible says that as she was listening, she was a worshiper. That means a God-fearer. Doesn't mean she knew Jesus. In fact, some versions translate it, she was a God-fearer. She was, a, she, she was seeking after God, but didn't know how to know him. And that's when the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And remember, his message is the gospel. That's the only message. He had one message, always, only, forever. And he preached Jesus to her, told her about the love of Jesus, told her about the sacrifice of Jesus, told her about the resurrection of Jesus, told her about the presence of Jesus. He's here by his spirit right now, Lydia. I could see him looking at her and go, Lydia, God's got his eye on you. God sent me to tell you he loves you, Lydia. God has a purpose for your life. God's calling you to follow after Jesus. It's good news, Lydia. Lydia's like, I'm all in. She's like, I've been waiting for this all my life. I didn't know what I was looking for, but when I heard the song, I recognized that that's the song I've been looking for. You sang the song of the gospel, and it's a song that was in my, I didn't know every other song I heard. It was like, nah, that just didn't. You captured me with Jesus. And Lydia goes, I'm in. I'm all in. Woo! This is the beginning in Europe of the first church in Europe of the kingdom of God built not on Peter, built on a woman. People can choke on that all day long. God doesn't have a problem. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household, and remember, household is not just about my, my wife and I and her kids. A household is everybody that comes under the influence of that house. Sir, half the population then were servants. And they were, most of them were treated well, but it was a class of people that you were born into, and it was a miracle to raise out of it. And Lydia had, and you know she was kind to them. And had, think of the influence. Don't read the story that it could happen just boop, 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 boop. You know, there's life in between the verses that Luke's given you a shorthand version. But somehow Lydia comes and she's, she's, she's weeping and she's grabbing her, whatever she's got. Does she have a, I don't know if she has a husband or not. She's the head of the house. That's just, it, it, she is the head of her household. Whether the husband is there or not, if there's children, we don't know. Is there, how many servants does she run her business with? She's, an, she's gathered them together. She's sobbing. She said, I found him. I found life. I found forgiveness. I found joy. I found what I've been looking for my whole life. She's a persuasive woman. In fact, I love what it says at the end of verse uh, uh, 15. It says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, if this thing's real, and you believe that I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded them. I love that. She's preaching. She's telling Paul, one of the most stubborn men you'll ever meet in the Bible. 
He's saying, no, no, no. She said, you're coming. If you think I'm a Christian, if you believe this gospel stuff, if this gospel stuff tears down every wall like you say, then you're going to come into my home. You're going to stay at my house. I'm, you're going to eat my food. I'm going to be your hostess. Now, in that day, the churches started in homes. And whoever home, the church usually, this isn't a, like a, a commandment, but usually in the Bible, like Aquila and Priscilla had a church in their home, that meant they led it. It's not just that they were nice people and opened up their home. And so I said a number of years ago that I know that Lydia went on to be the pastor of the church, one of the pastors of the church of uh, Philippi. And I had a leader in the church call me out afterwards. He said, you're wrong. And I said, well, how do you know I'm wrong? I said, I, I don't just say stuff because, woo, it sounded fun to say it. I spent hours researching things and digging up, and I've read people way smarter than me that agree that Lydia was one of the leaders in the, in the church, and Paul built it on. He said, I know that can't be true. And I said, I said, well, based on what? He said, just me and the Bible. I said, well, that sounds good, but it's dangerous just you and the Bible. That's where cults come from. You can get anything you want out of the Bible. Once you cut yourself from the moorings of accountable to Orthodox Christianity, to your tribe of people that you're part of, if you're just all alone, alone with Jesus, smoking whatever you're smoking, coming up with whatever you think you believe from the Bible. I believe it. I found it in the Bible. UFOs are coming. You know how many wackos are out there that believe this, that, and the other thing? They have no rootedness in the kingdom of God. They're rooted in their own imagination, their own understanding. And that's a scary place to live. Bright people get themselves into deep trouble. So he says to me, it's, it's not true. And I said, well, I may be wrong. I'm not saying I'm 100% accurate. It doesn't matter to me. It's not something I'm going to fight over. I just think it's pretty cool. And uh, by the way, we believe in women and leadership. And by the way, my wife pastors you. For whatever reason, that never entered into his mind. He'd been a leader in our church. Pastor Kim had preached and led. But he, I, don't know, I don't know how, just until he heard me say, Lydia was the pastor or one of the pastors. And he parted ways with us. That doesn't make him a bad person. I'm just, it's not, it's not the way we do gospel church here. So Paul starts the church, her household. You know, we had a young man in our second service. Might be here today. I don't know. But he, 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 he Kim had had eight people stood and gave their heart to Jesus on Mother's Day. And, and we're sitting, church is over. We're just hanging out. And this young man comes back in. He has a family of four or five young children, like nine and under. I mean, just babies everywhere. He comes walking back in. He said, I got in my car and I told my wife I had to come back in. I need to, I need to take a stand today. And I need to say yes to Jesus. I didn't want to stand because I was afraid to cry. And I said, buddy, crying's okay. Men cry at the vineyard here. Women cry, men cry. It's okay. He said, I said, well, would you mind uh, if I called everybody's attention and you'd do it right now? He said, I'll do it. So I said, hey, hey, hey. You know, people were fellowshipping over here and over there. And, and he, I said, this man has something he wants to say. And he confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord. And people applauding, ran out, rang the bell. Well, Charles is out taking pictures on the picture wall. He hears the bell ring. I think he dropped the camera and broke it on the ground. He ran in so fast. He thought, what did I miss? What did I miss? People are still coming to Jesus. But you think of that household. Think of the difference it's going to make in daddy with those babies to be able to see daddy get on his knees and pray. See, daddy captured with a love. Listen, if the gospel gets you, your dog will know it. Your cat will know it. Your neighbor will know it. When the gospel gets you, your wife will know it. You don't have to preach at Your teenagers that didn't know it, you don't have to preach at them. They'll see it. Gospel planted in a life changes. Now, it's not instantaneous anything, and we'll talk more about that. But there's a joy now in Lydia that the gospel produced that's so appealing, so attractive. Her whole household gets baptized. Here's the beginning. And then Paul, a few days later, he's out preaching, and this young slave girl whose masters own her, they're trafficking her as a psychic, and she's screaming at Paul, these are servants of God! And it's true, but it's off. You know, that can be, you can be true, but something behind it is, is dark. And that happened several times, and Paul just got irritated and turned around. And he said, be quiet and come out of her in the name of Jesus. He cast the demon out. She lost her job. 
She's not a psychic anymore. Don't minimize psychic stuff. It's real stuff. Doesn't make it right. There's real curses. There's real access into the spirit world that leads people into all kinds of stuff. And don't just think it's all a bunch of sham. There are people that have gifts that are demonic gifts. And this girl had that. And Paul, because now she's a slave. The masters, she's not going to make any more money. She's got no income. Some theorize, and I believe this with all my heart, that Lydia said, honey, you're coming home with me. Lydia hired her on the spot that day. You're going to learn how to dye purple garments. You're going to learn how to walk with Jesus with me. And now Paul's got his second foundation stone. Lydia, the businesswoman, and a young slave psychic that the demon got cast out. What kind of team are you building here? Think about it. You show up, you're a male-oriented, macho me, come to a church, and we're, we're starting a new church. We got started, we got women leaders and slave girls that are disciples. You're like, I don't know. This isn't like my church I came from. It's the kingdom. Remember, they're in Christ. The last one, so Paul gets in trouble because these guys no longer have an income. They make it a religious issue, and they, they act like he's violated the Roman law. They beat him, and he's in prison, and, 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 and with Silas, he's been scourged in his back, bleeding at night. It's midnight. This is where the apostle Paul gets the theme of joy. He's sitting in there thinking about that slave girl that came to Jesus and thought she was worth every, sl- every splurge on the sus, every whip on my back. Because Jesus took whips on his back for me to come to the kingdom of God. And he's just saying, he starts singing. He's not in pity. God, look what you did to me. I was trying to serve you. Now I'm in jail. And we'll talk more about that as we go through Philippians about having a God bigger than your circumstances, and, and even when you can't understand them. And this is where joy, when he writes about them having joy in the book of Philippians, the key verse in the whole book that I build on is, we used to sing it as a song, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul modeled this from the beginning of the church. He wasn't a grumpy gospel preacher. There's nothing worse than angry, grumpy gospel preacher. It's a total oxymoron. It just makes the person a moron. They may be preaching a good gospel, but with a bad heart. The gospel's good news. They make it sound like, you know, God's telling you, you know, he hates you, he's mad at you, wants to crush you like a bug. And the gospel captured Lydia. Now, Earthquake happens, and you read the story, and the jailer freaks out. He's about to commit suicide out of fear. Paul says, no, wait. Paul preaches the gospel to him. He gets saved, takes Paul home in the middle of the night, and he's wiping off. Now, here's the, this is a macho Roman soldier. This is a bad-to-the-bone dude. This guy would be on the security team at the church. This is not a guy you mess with. This is a guy that when he says no, you listen to him. He's a Roman soldier in charge of a jail, prison. And look what it says in 16, verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Immediately, he and all his household, his family, were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole Family, gospel, joy. You didn't find it. You didn't create it. And nobody can take it from you. Now, you can give it away. You can give up. You can let go. You can be robbed. Or you can choose joy. But you can't do it until you experience the power of the gospel. Now, I want you to see that the beginnings of this church is the theology of the kingdom. This baptism is what it means to show that you're in Christ. Now, I want you to look in Galatians 3, another letter earlier that Paul wrote, and he's just unpacking uh, Galatians chapter 3. He's unpacking that and this story of how the church of Philippi began. In chapter 3, verse 26 uh, of of Galatians, it says, You all... You are all sons of God. Now, it's not gender specific here. 
People get so bent out of shape. I get it. There's so much emphasis seemingly on men in the Bible, but it's, it's, it's children of God. We're, we're sons and daughters of God. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, this is the air I breathe. This is the ground I'm rooted in. This is the water I swim in. This is the vine I draw life from. I'm in union, connected, a living relationship with Christ. When you've been baptized, you put on, you clothe. Remember we talked about the Christian garments and, and you're, you're clothed with Christ. Then there's not male garments and female garments. There's not slave garments and free garments. There's the robe of his righteousness. It's not gender related. It's not women are baptized in pink robes of Christ and men have blue robes or whatever the, the color for men are. And so it says, it says, that you were clothed with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Remember the prayer? Thank God I'm not a Gentile. That's what a Greek is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Thank God I'm not a slave. Paul is just poking in the eye that teaching, that prayer. He's subverting it. He's overturning it. He's showing you the power of the gospel. Thank God I'm, it doesn't matter if I'm a Jew or a Gentile. Thank God it doesn't matter if I'm a slave or free. Thank God it doesn't matter if I'm a male or female. We are all one in Christ. That is what the gospel does. That's why in the center of the pyramid is the gospel. Paul, the Philippians, Jesus gospel. You can say, well, I don't like Paul, but I'll just relate to Jesus. No, the gospel makes you have to deal with Paul, makes you deal with other believers. Doesn't mean they're always easy to get along with, but the gospel causes, and that's where in Philippians, they're getting some of their joy robbed because there's some tension. There's some selfishness going on in the church. There's some opinions. There's someone with hurt feelings. We're going to deal with that tonight. Even pastors can get sideways. And if we don't have the gospel and we focus on our differences, I've been meeting for almost 25 years with a group of pastors locally. You know how different we are as a group of guys. I mean, politically, oh my gosh. I, yeah, if we wanted to blow the group up, you just talk politics and it'd blow the group up. Theology. Now, we agree on the gospel, but how Christ is returning and some baptized babies, some don't. Some speak in tongues, some don't. Some believe in women in ministry, some don't. So, you know, it, it, we're so different. But we realized years ago, what is it that unites us? We have different backgrounds. Some of us played football. Others, uh, you know, married their high school sweetheart and, and you know, never, never smoked a joint in their life and never, you know, it just we're, we're different. You know, and, and, and we, what is it? Obviously Jesus, but that's, that's what, what glues us is the gospel. In that pyramid, there's Jamie and George and the gospel and Jesus. There's Jamie and Dennis and the gospel. And Je there's Jamie and Bob. There's Jamie and David. There's Jamie and Jeff. We're totally different. None of them are vineyard pastors. None of them have the same backgrounds, but we've been together through thick and thin, because we're gospel-centered. Now we go about it differently, different styles, different style music, different approaches. But I want you to say, is this church is anchored in the gospel. We, we build our relationships in the gospel, not about that we agree politically. That's why we try to steward our political views in a way that doesn't get in the way of the gospel. Because if you put politics in the center of the triangle, you blew up the triangle. Because Jesus didn't die for your political views. 
Jesus didn't die for your opinions. He died for our sins. And the good news is I can love my brother or sister that has different views than I do. We can have healthy discussions. We can work at things, but we can be gracious to one another. We fight hard to keep this church from becoming one-dimensional, one all alike, look alike, sound alike, think alike. That's boring. And that's, you're in for a massive shock when, when Christ returns and you see how he celebrates diversity, how he celebrates thus loving those that are less fortunate than ourselves, loving the broken, loving those that have failed and made massively bad choices in their life. It's the gospel. Paul says, I thank God woman started the church. I thank God a slave was one of the first disciples. I thank God that a ruthless Gentile jailer learned that he could wash feet as a deacon in the church. I guarantee you that guy was one of the deacons. He's servant-hearted. He's just been looking for our change of heart. He's washing Paul's back, tears running down his eyes with the joy of finding Jesus. I'm so sorry, Paul. Paul's like, dude, get over it. I was involved in killing Christians. You just scourged me. God forgave me. He can forgive you. He preached the gospel. You imagine those kids had a new daddy. The gospel is not something that you experience in your childhood or in the past, and then you just kind of move on from it. I preached the gospel to myself to come to church today. You preach the gospel and the good news because it's still the presence of God. You can't have lasting joy without the gospel. It's Jesus. It's his message. It's not just Bible. It's not just doctrine and information. It's the living presence of Jesus in the announcement of the good news. And it's still good news, and it'll be good news in heaven. It'll be good news Good news. It's never going to go old. It'll never get out of date. People try to change the message. and There is nothing. There is no church without gospel. There's a club. There's a religious organization. But to have a church, Paul says, to the saints in Christ. How do they get there? Gospel. Grace and peace to you. Gospel. He said, I thank God. Let me just close. Go back to Philippians real quick. You guys are listening too slow. Go back to Philippians. That was just the introduction, but I won't wear you out. But doesn't that make it different? Now you open to the book of Philippians and you think, wow, 10 years later, Paul is now chained to a Roman guard in Rome, suffering again, but he misses the Philippians. And he's writing to them. Doesn't that change? Now he's telling them about joy. They know, Paul, you still got one message, don't you? Jesus and joy. He was singing in prison 10 years ago, beaten. Now he's locked up again. Is he feeling sorry for himself? Woe is me. Life isn't fair. He's saying, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Paul writes to them. And he says, after he says grace and peace, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He started thinking about that slave girl. And he's thinking of joy. Jesus, you're so good. You redeemed her from a horrible life. Bound. Deceived. Broken. Who knows her story? Oh, the joy. Let's call her Sally, the slave girl. Lord, thank you for Sally. Sally's married now and got children. They've come to Jesus. We think her young son's going to be the next worship leader in Philippi. Because his mama heard the gospel. His mama saw the power of something that could change a life, not information, not doctrine, not theory and philosophy, but a living presence of a resurrected Lord and a good news message that changed her life. And oh, he smiles, he thinks of Lydia. She's financially been supporting him. This church with a lot of, Lydia's are what keep the kingdom going. 
Let me just help you. This church has been the most faithful financial supporter of Paul out of all the other churches. This hard-working businesswoman, industrious, bright, wise, entrepreneurial, now she's realized God didn't make me wealthy to just play with things. He made me wealthy to invest in the gospel. And she gives and supports with the church. And he says, I think of you with joy because, verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Think about that. He goes back to the first day. Oh, standing by the river, sitting with a group of women, thinking, this is it? This is my, this is my starter kit? This is my church? Where's the men? I got no men. I got women. No, no. Paul saw that God is not about male and female. He started with a woman, and he just smiles because she's partnered with him. They've suffered with him. They've prayed for him. This church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for partners that like you that are in it, that pray for my wife and I, pray for our team, that bring people to church, that support the church. We partner together. There's this pyramid. Jamie and Kim, the vineyard church, Jesus and the gospel. That's what cold. It's not because we have things in common. It's not because we agree on everything. It's not mean that we vote the same way or like the same music. But we love Jesus, amen? And if you start there, you can build any relationship. If your marriage burns down to the ground, you start back with the gospel. You start back with the good news that Jesus can change any life, redeem any broken relationship. He's still first. You, whatever the relationship, it's a triad in the kingdom. That's what holds a church together. And we fight for that. People try to take gospel out and put something else in the center. You blow it up. You either lose Jesus or you lose Paul or you lose the, you got to have all three. It's not a gospel of individuality. It's a gospel of community. It's a gospel of partnership. It's family. And you'll see that through this letter. There's joy in the family. There's joy in prayers for each other. Think about that. If you have gospel friendships, then you pray for your friends. You pray for them. There is no other kingdom relationship than gospel friendships. And you pray for them with joy. I thought about, Lord, do I always pray for you guys with joy? Not so much. So I have to grow in that. Be thankful. Sometimes I'm grumpy because you make bad choices. And you're grumpy. And so me getting grumpy because you're grumpy just makes us all grumpy. So I said, God, forgive me. Preach the gospel. I repent. I repent, God. And I'm telling you, you start dealing with leaders, leaders are tough to deal with. We just are like herding cats. They're worse. And I want to say to the leaders, if your people in your church treated you the way you're treating other leaders, what would you do? You'd, you'd be having some hard conversations. Leaders can be very independent, very stubborn. And, and that's me at times. But God's preached the gospel to me all over again. He takes me back to why am I here? What am I doing? I think of the people here, and I watch them. I watch them up, rise up on the stage. I watch broken lives get put back together. We watch people get baptized. We watch marriages come back together or marriages that blew up and God restored and, and, and with a new beginning. We watch people come through crises and death and, and, and heartache, and there's still joy, not because we have any special medicine. It's like the gospel anchors us in Jesus, who is the source of all joy. So if you've lost your smile, then come back to the gospel. Come back to Jesus. He's the only one that can restore that smile. You ain't going to get enough stuff. You're not going to get enough whatever to give you what joy is going to get. That, that, that sense of well-being, that sense of it's going to be okay, that sense of I can still enjoy a small meal, even with pain around me, because God's love is the center of the meal.
Paul says, I'm so thankful for you guys, you Philippians. I'm so grateful. Ten years later, the church is growing and, and leaders are emerging. And I'm so proud of you guys. It's what the gospel and the soil of the heart of a woman, a slave, and a jailer. That grew into this book of gospel-believing, sharing, honoring people. And that's where Cape Coral came from. We didn't parachute out of heaven. God didn't say, here's a box, add water to it. Whoop, you got a church. No, we just, we just preached the gospel. People have believed it. People have been transformed. They've come to Jesus. And that's how we grow. But if you don't partner with us, then you'll, you'll, you'll hoard the joy. And when you hoard anything in the kingdom, you lose it. If you're never inviting anybody to the vineyard, if you don't have some sense of responsibility to just be an inviter and a prayer and, and encouraging friends to come to, to hear the good news, then you're not partnering with us. Partner with us. Come along. Watch what God does here. I believe we're going to see family. I, I can't wait to see that young man and his five kids and wife get baptized uh, the 1st of uh, June. I hope. I'm praying for him. Household. What are the ripple effects of that? Mm. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Joy. Without the good news, there is no lasting joy. The good news brings you to know the one that's the source of joy. So if you're here today and this is your first day, as with Lydia. And God's opened your heart and your mind. You realize that it's not about being a God-fearer or knowing about God. It's about knowing his son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. The Lord's opened your eyes, opened your heart this morning. Then you just whisper a prayer like Lydia did. She said yes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm all in. Forgive my sins. I'll follow you the rest of my life. Lydia said yes, and it affected her whole household. It affected a whole city. One woman coming to Jesus changed an entire Roman city. God planted the flag of his kingdom in the home of a businesswoman named Lydia and watched the ripples come out from there. Maybe you're that Lydia, that this is your day. Maybe you're watching online. Or you're that Philippian jailer that's just uh, been a tough person, had a tough life. But you realize that God's got other things for you. This is your day to say yes to Jesus. Just whisper that prayer to him. Lord, bless those that need to make a stand today. Lord, those that have lost their joy, had it stolen. Father, may the gospel... The announcement of the victory of Jesus be freshly heard in their hearts. Restore what you never took away. Restore what the enemy has tried to rob. In Jesus' name.